This is Xane Anderson and welcome to the Principal Podcast. I am thrilled to have with me on the podcast today, Di Manuel, who is a super dad. He's dating his wife after two decades at least, and he's a lead by example kind of guy. Welcome to the show, Di. X, it's great to be here. And, and, and for those that uh, were, were probably just as confused as me on the enunciation, uh, yeah, uh, thank you for the permission to call you X rather than trying to butcher your name. Xane. They see I said it right, though. You said it right. You said right. it right. You said it right. <laughs> Almost nobody can. You did die. Awesome. Well, I love that we both have unique names. You know, we got parents that were obviously creatives at, uh, on some level, right? So. That's exactly right. Exactly right. And I'm grateful for those, uh, that legacy they left me. I was going to say awesome. for SEO, it's awesome, right? You type in your name, dude, you own it. <laughs> That's right. That's what I'm saying. When you've got, you know, there's nobody else in the world unless they're in my family. So if you type it in, it's I'm competing with, you know, two or two or three other people in my family. That's it. I so, didn't see even know. them showing up. All I saw was you. I thought it was great, man. I was just going to say, because it's the same with me, you know, because I have a unique name and it's it's doesn't show up that often. And when people Google, if they type my name right, even if they type it wrong, it, Google now recognizes people misspell my name so well frequently. <laughs> it starts to give the suggestion. So I, I, I love it. I think it's great. Yeah. We've got two of the most uniquely named guys on the podcast. I love it. Well, let me let me give you a little bit better of an introduction, guys. I, I mean, you're you've been on TEDx. You've been you've, you've you're this thought leader. You're an author. Um, you're juggling these things. Tell us a little bit more about what you're doing. Ah, it's a little bit well, about you. I like to fill my days. You know, like like a lot of us out there, I think we wake up in the morning and we think, "Keesh, what can I do today?" And and for me, most of the time is just jumping out of bed, and I already know what I'm doing. You know, I, I I'm very focused and driven, uh, but it's also because I'm very much aligned with what I'm doing day in day out now. And and really, all it involves, if I was to boil it right down to a simple statement, is I, I help people navigate change. That's really what I do. You know, I help people professionally or personally more often than not both <laughs> you know like because it's kind of connected, connected right it's all right. connected you know whether you deny it or not it, it's all connected and, and and so i just help people navigate change but more from a mentorship capacity than a coaching capacity i, I like to always sort of differentiate the two because i tend to attract people that are like me or have experienced certain things that i've probably already experienced um and i've shared with you before that you know as a child i was morbidly obese and then later on in life, I, I went from really consoling myself with food and video games and movies to, to then using alcohol when I got into my early adult years. And, and you know, then also diagnosed with, a, well, most people would consider my condition. I have a chronic autoimmune disease and, you know, my hematologist thinks I should live in a bubble. Just to give you an example, uh, I'm not going to be a bubble boy. I mean, gosh, can you imagine me doing burpees in a bubble? Forget about <laughs> it, right? Like, no way, man. Mm -hmm. um, so, so, and I'm only sharing this because, listen, I get hardship. I get that we all have to deal with tough stuff. We all do. We That's all right. do. And, even, and the I most, hate even the people who are most figured, seems like they've got it figured out. They've dealt with hardship yeah. and, and change. Oh. And you, you've had to deal with a lot of change. Yeah, tons. And, and, and listen, I'll be the first to admit, it felt like a scene out of Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, like, remember Indiana Jones, the beginning of the movie, grabs that idol. And then what happens? The whole world starts to fall in on him, quite literally. And, and that big boulder that chases him out of that mouth of that tunnel. <laughs> that's how we represent change in most of our lives. You know, is this big rock that's coming at us, whether we like it or not. And, and, you know, it, it's scary. Change is scary because it involves a lot 
of everything in our lives, feeling sometimes being turned upside down. And yet it's the only thing that we know that's an absolute certainty, right? Like you can go buy a lottery ticket. There's no guarantee you're going to win, but there's a guarantee that you wake up tomorrow and it's very different than it was today. That's true. Because it's a different day. <laughs> it's a different time. And every minute passes, things change. And that's the only given we got. So why not learn to have more fun with change and rather than feeling like we're always being beat down or a victim of it? Right. That's what I help people with, you know? I love that. Yeah. Tell us, tell us a little bit about the changes you did. You, you touched on it briefly there. You were telling mm. us, tell us a little bit more about your story. You said you were you were uh, struggling growing up. Tell us a little bit more about that. So you, mm. because your ability to change yourself, mm. I think puts you in that spot to help others, I'm guessing. Well, yeah. And I, I, <laughs> at the very least, I can say what not to do, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I think that's all that's really happened is I've made more mistakes than some other people. And and I, I refuse. Well, actually, I'm a, I'm a slow learner. I've repeated a few of them. Okay. Full disclosure. Um, but sure. as a kid, as a kid, you know, uh, age nine, my entire emotional and psychological world was rocked. You know, at age nine, I mean, you know, you're a father too. And people that are listening to this. If you have kids or young kids in your life, like, you know, under the age of 10, kids are pretty naive, you know, they know what's up. They can feed energy. They, they feed off people's energy, but I really didn't know what was going on behind the closed doors with my parents. And mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't, I thought everything was fine. And then that one fateful day, my, I got home, my brother was there with me, you know, he's two and a half years younger than me, but we walked home together after school. My dad's car is in the driveway. And I'm like, man, it's like three o'clock. Dad's never here. Why is dad here? You know, we get ushered in and my mom, I can tell my mom's eyes are bloodshot. She's clearly been crying a lot. And so they motion us into the living room and we go sit us on the couch and then boom, my world changed. You know, my parents expressed we're separating and divorcing. We're going to be no longer together. And, you know, at age nine, I mean, my life was very stable <laughs> as far as what I can recollect. I felt safe. We were provided for, we had a nice home, like just everything was fine. And then it wasn't, right? And and right. I'm dating myself right now. I'm 46 now. Okay. So this is going back to when I was, you know, this was like a long time ago. This was like over 30 and a half. Oh gosh, that's a long time ago. <laughs> when I'm thinking about it right now, I'm like, gosh, this is, we're talking almost four decades, right? So it, it, there's been a lot of water under that bridge. But back then we didn't have the Google, right? We didn't have the internet. Also, in my class of 30 other kids, there was only one other kid that didn't have his original parents together still. So there was a lot of negative stigmas with the idea of divorce or even separation, you know, and, and there wasn't a lot of people having conversations or nor were there resources for someone in my situation at that time. So I, I like to always remember that because my parents didn't have a lot of resources to navigate what they were navigating, but also we didn't necessarily have that emotional and psychological support either. And my brother is much more resilient than me or something. I don't know why he was totally fine, but I took it really hard. Sure. And um, I figured out pretty darn quick that I could influence how I felt in the moment based on the foods that I would eat and based on the kind of activities that I would do. And so my activities were instant dopamine hits, video games and movies. <laughs> you know, and, and when it came to food, that emotional uplift, oh man, it wasn't like I was reaching for more salad, please. You know, like it, it was me eating very nutritious, poor food, yet high and rich in calories. And that was my life for five years. 
So listen, you don't have to be a nutritionist or dietitian to realize, whoo, okay, that's a lot of excess calories and no movement other than some thumb dexterity, right? And, and rapid eye movement. But outside of that, that was about the extent of my movement. And I ballooned to, to a place where I was at the doctor's office with my mom one day at, at, at 14. And, you know, Dr. Grant like pulls my mom aside and like, Betty Ann, die is morbidly obese. You know, and and I could just hear this whispering outside the office door, which he was so clever to leave ajar slightly. So he knew I was listening <laughs> and I, I didn't know what those two words meant, but I knew it wasn't good. And it just reaffirmed how I was feeling internally anyways, because I was dealing with depression, a lot of social anxiety um, and, and suicidal ideations, you know, like that's just where I was. And, um, but then things changed, you know, and because I chose to change and, and I won't go into the long story just based on wanting to be a bit more brief with time, but I'll tell you, it was just one morning I caught my reflection in the mirror. And up to that point, I got really good at avoiding anything that would remind me of how I looked. Like, I didn't need people to tell me how I looked. I didn't need people to point out, oh, wow, you know, there's a big guy, even though that's what I would hear walking down the halls in school, right? I'd hear the snickering. I'd hear the jokes. I knew I was the butt of those most of the time, you know? And uh, and yet I didn't need to be reminded by images as well, you know, or to see my reflection, you know? Like, those were just things I avoided, Mm-hmm. And I and I really feel for kids today, right? I mean, gosh, most kids, I look at my own daughters, you know, like they've got smartphones. They've got high pixel cameras that are way better than any camera that could take an image of me at 10 years old, you know, like, <laughs> and yet that's every day and it's everywhere. So I can just imagine the pressure that the youth today have to deal with. And I caught my reflection that one morning and uh, <laughs> it was the weirdest thing because I, I, I just lost it uncontrollable sobbing now very cathartic though i'll tell you like i must have been releasing a lot of emotional baggage because it was just this overwhelming sense of of just feeling lost and alone and um and for a lack of better way to frame it i i and you know trying to reflect on this 30 years in the future i can tell you that i just got to this place where i, I made a decision that I accepted, I was actually more afraid of not changing than the idea of changing. Mm. I know that sounds like almost counterintuitive, but it, it, listen, I, I think anybody that's listening or watching this right now, and, and actually, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but when you think about the most significant changes you made in your life, was it fear-driven or was it not? Was it something different? And, and uh, I was running away from a potential future. That was my thing that got me going. It got me started. Now, it didn't keep me going, but it got me started with the change because it, it was it was fear-based. It was preservation. It was this fear of not wanting to be stuck feeling the way I was at age 14, almost 15 years old. You know, I didn't want to be like that anymore. I wanted to be healthy. Right. And I accepted that if I didn't make some changes right then and there, the next five years of my life, by the time I'm 20 and out on my own, and you know, you start having these conversations at school and they're talking about what do you want to do after high school? You know, what do you want to specialize in? I'm like, I don't know. I already felt lost and alone. Like, I was like, I, I, I didn't see a future, to be honest. And when I started to paint that picture, I was like, gosh, I don't like the one I'm looking at. Right. I better do something about it. You know, I mean, what are your thoughts? Like, when you think about some of the changes well, that you've made, like, has it been fear based? Has fear played into that at all? Oh, sure. I'm, I, I think sometimes people have to get to a place where they're, 
uh, rock bottom. But there mm. also, I think there can also be a point where you're saying, hey, I'm going to make changes because I know this is what's going to be best. And I think it can be both. And unfortunately, a lot of times we wait mm. till it's mm. like, man, I've got to change. You know what yes. I'm saying? Like it's, yes. it's right there. I think probably a better place to be is, is saying, well, you know, things are going good, but can I make it better? And that's, that's a rare place for many people to be, mm. but you know, could you do it that way? I think you, I think you can, if you get to a certain level after you've probably mm-hmm. been in a fear-based change for quite a while, you know what I'm It would be my guess. Yeah. I, I think ex- a lot of people I wait until things get real bad yeah. and then they say, I've got to change, but it might be better to change before things are, you know, before you're scraping your head on the bottom of the pool there, so to speak. Well, and it's, I love how you said that too, because you know, the rock bottom thing, I, I often allude to this, uh, especially when it came to making some significant shifts around alcohol 14 years ago, I felt like I was at rock bottom. But when I really reflect on it, I was actually pinned under the rock, you know, like it was, that's what it felt like. It felt like there wasn't even a bottom to be at. It was like, I was under all that, you know, like, and, right. and immobilized by it. Like just, just the weight of the world weighing down on me, you know? And and I know a lot of us sometimes get to that place and, and we say we want to change and yet sustaining the new habits that we need to do to actually live the change. There's a disconnect there. I've seen this in myself, you know, like you start to see positive adaptation, right? You start to see things start to evolve because that's really what change is. It's an evolution or a de-evolution, right? Like, I guess it depends on the type of change we're looking at here, Mm -hmm. you know, but I'm thinking about more on the positive side of change. It it is an evolution, right? Into something greater than we are currently, or maybe being able to manage things better than we can manage it currently. It's, it involves growth. It involves change. It involves forward movement. You know, it's, and it's possible to tap into that, but it's also very overwhelming. And and I think that's the thing we all have to just wrap our heads around is that, yeah, this is scary. It's overwhelming, but you know what? It's in our DNA. So anybody that's listening, like seriously, it's already in you. The ability to change is in you. It's part of your your makeup. It's part of our makeup as human beings across this planet. I mean, it's like 8 billion of us, right? Like, and I've, I've, I've joked about this in the past, but my climate change friends think we're too resilient, you know, like we're, you know, we talk about cockroaches, right? It's like, well, what about humans, man? We are pretty resilient and we use a lot of resources, right? And, right. and yet we endure and we survive in harsh situations and continue to thrive, you know, and that's in us. I, I love what you're saying right here. And also, you know, one of the things that I really like about when I was learning more about you, Di, and wanting mm. to have you on the show here is that you dislike labels. In other words, you're saying, hey, mm. we can change. We can, you know, like to just put someone in a box and say, well, this person is this and label them. Maybe that's not fair because we can, we can change. Now, as you said, mm. you know, mm. l- l- let me talk, let me tell you a couple things. This, this thought, you know, like if you're trying to get, a rocket ship out of orbit. Mm-hmm. They say that that initial amount of energy to get mm. to defy gravity is just, it's massive. It's immense. They have to burn a yeah. ton of fuel, a lot of like science and planning to get them out of orbit. But once they're up in space going and they've, they've gotten, they've broken out of that, mm-hmm. we could, this gravitational pull, which we could liken to a habit, right? Mm-hmm. Once they're out in space, you know, they say that to get that little, um, I can't remember what they call it, but the spacecraft that goes down to the moon was mm-hmm. less than a yeah. baby's breath, right? Like it wow. was just a little, whew. and it, and it was, and it went down 
to, to the thing. So here, here we have to spend a ton, a ton of energy when we've got these habits. I mean, if you're trying to say, Hey, I've had these habits for five years and I'm, and I'm obese or I'm addicted to something, or I have some kind of thing that it's really hard for me to change. It's going to take a little bit of work, but you can, you can change it. And once you go through that process of working, it becomes much easier later, doesn't it? Yes. And I love that you brought science into the conversation because the cool part about change, you know, and, and it's kind of funny because if we go back like 2,600 years ago, there was a guy named Buddha, right? <laughs> Someone, you may have heard of the guy, you know, like <laughs> he's sort of, mm-hmm. we, we hear him referenced quite often, right? Especially if you ever eat fortune cookies, you know, like there's always a Buddha quote in those, right? But here's Buddha, like 25, 2,600 years ago that said, you know what? There's nothing that we know that's that's absolutely certain other than one thing. Nothing stays as it is. You know, everything's always changing. And that, now that was a very wise thing to say that many years ago. Now, in the last hundred years, literally the last hundred years in our generation, science has caught up to say, you know what? Holy smokes, he's right. Everything is just a bunch of space. Everything's in a change of energy and flux. Wow. That's what we know about the entire you know universe as we know it. It's always changing. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of cool. Science has now been able to back up some of these pieces. Now, neuroscientists have gone a whole nother level. They've looked at the brain. And the chemistry, especially from a health and resiliency standpoint, and and how our habits form, you know, and what they found is there's literally these pathways in our minds, you know, in our brains. And the more we do certain things, the more we repeat those day in, day out, over and over again, Mm. it literally ingrains this path or this habitual path, this habit of ours, and it deepens that trench, literally deepens it. And so we so, can, you know, go ahead. No, please. No, so I'm starting to go, on, go with this, right? So you're saying if I have a habit of being joyful, I can make that trench, that pathway bigger. On the other hand, if I have a habit of being angry, oh, yeah. I can do the same thing again and and, and make that uh, the ability to be angry more and more. It's almost like I build, go from a sidewalk to a highway to a super exactly. highway by Thank practicing you. doing it, doing Perfect. it, right? Perfect. And I know we're overly simplifying neuroscience. I'm sure there's some neuroscientists listening like, you guys are butchering this. And uh, fair enough. But this is the simplest way to understand it. You know, it's the similes, the metaphors are are the most accurate way to get the best idea of how this works. Because it's exactly that. It might start off as a little string going across. And then we do it again. And we do it again. And eventually we have this literally, as you said, a highway potentially. And so we can imagine the longer we've been doing a habit, the deeper entrenched that habits become as part of us, and you know, neuroscientifically speaking, then it's going to take equally amount of effort in a different direction to now override that. And so for so me, that's as a I lot like, of effort if you've been doing oh, it for five years or 10 years or just 20 a, years, right? Case in point, you know, it took me. Like it took me five years to get to the largest I've ever been in my life. Like the most unhealthy, uh, the most obese, if you will, you know, and there was lots of other health complications that were symptoms of that state of unhealth. You know, I, uh, I developed asthma. Um, I had uh, early signs of, of well, joint problems, you know, and, and they were worried that it was going to be like arthritis, but it wasn't. It was just my joints were overloaded. That's why they were so swollen. It's just like my frame was not meant to carry that amount of excess weight on me, you know, and and, and so where I'm going with this is <laughs> it took me five years to get there. And when I made the change, or at least mentally chose to start to make changes, 
And I started to do those just a little bit every day. It took 20 months to release all that weight and to get to a place where I had the start of a new lifestyle that became my main thing again. So it didn't take me five years to get back to healthy. It took me a year and a half. So you did it faster, but it was still, it wasn't this instant overnight. I t- tried this no, one diet and in 10 days, no. all of a sudden everything was magically better. It took some exactly. effort. Still. But my yeah. point is like, sometimes change can happen a little bit faster. It doesn't mean right. it has to be one-to-one because right. this is the cool thing about positive changes as well. Uh, there's a mental aspect. There is a spiritual aspect. There's an emotional aspect, but there's also a deep physical one too, you know, and it's a holistic thing. And when we embrace change holistically, you know, from a a whole person standpoint, we start looking at all the different inputs that are coming at us, you know, because those inputs influence what we do when it comes to the outputs, right? Like Mm -hmm. if there's somebody feeding a lot of negative ideas into your head all day long, well, it's going to be really hard to build that joy pathway that you talked about, right? Like, sure. To become that, I mean, you can keep telling yourself, but you got everybody else pouring in on you, all these negative ideas. It's really going to be that much more challenging to make the change because you're fighting an uphill battle. Not to say it's not possible, but that's all we also have to look at what's called biopsychosocial. So we have to look at our biology. We have to look at our psychology. We also have to look at the sociology. What environment do we find ourselves living in? Who's part of our community? Sure. You know, these are all aspects that come into change, which is really neat. You know, when you really start to look at things, it's not just like, you know, and I thank you because you got me off on this, this tangent here. But when you mentioned the gym idea, right? Like I go to the gym one day, do one workout, eat one salad. Whoa, I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) I take a little walk more work than that, but that's a good start. I mean, it's a good start. Wouldn't that be awesome though? Like, I mean. It would be great. And on the flip side, being devil's advocate here, wouldn't it be great if um, this wouldn't be great? This would be awful, actually, but it's an awful thought, but kind of morbid. But it just to prove a point, like if we ate one Big Mac meal, you know, the Big Mac meal, if you use the biggie size or whatever that is, and you get the full pop with all the sugar. I mean, it's almost your daily caloric intake for the typical man, you know, that's over 20 years old. We're we're getting near to 2000 calories in one meal. right? Right. And it's not like they're healthy calories, you know, like it's a lot of refined sugars and carbohydrates and trans fats, like the building blocks of, of an unhealthy lifestyle. Yet if we ate that one time and we died of a heart attack instantly, would we eat that way? No, we wouldn't. Okay. But it's gradual. It's one burger, one bite at a time. Right. But if that's our normal and that's how we get all our calories, it's just a matter of time that things will go in a direction that ultimately no one would choose to go. But because it happens so gradually over time, we forget that the change is actually even happening until one day we wake up and we're like, what happened? Right. And I've been there a few times and and I'm not saying I got the answers, but uh, I I can definitely say that we all have the ability in us to recognize when, when we're going down the path that may not be best serving us. We, yeah, we know, we know when things aren't going quite quite the right way. You know, what's really interesting. Something you said stood out to me and reminded me of something you were talking about Mm. doing, actually doing. And (laughs) and there was this uh, thought that came to mind, you know, Stephen Covey, because we're we're talking to Mm. a lot of parents here, a lot of people in relationship, marriage, want to get some help. Stephen Covey said something that said, you know, he had somebody come up to him after a speech and said, I don't love my wife anymore. Mm. Stephen Mm. Covey looked at the guy and said, well, then love her. And the guy said, I don't think you heard me. I've fallen out of love with her. She's fallen out of love with me. 
we've got three kids. We're probably heading for a divorce. Mm-hmm. And Stephen Covey looked at the guy and said something like, well, if you're not feeling it, maybe then then love her. You know, that would be a good reason to love her. And the guy said, well, how do you love someone you don't love? And Stephen Covey said, you know, my friend, you're talking like love is a feeling. Love is an action. But if you do the action, the feeling eventually follows. Now, it doesn't mean like right overnight. So the key for if you know, if, if let's say you have a marriage on the rocks, right? And you're not feeling it. Now, there could be a lot of things we could talk about. And there could be a lot of different things. But one of the things you could try is to, you know, if I'm not feeling love for my wife in any particular day, mm-hmm. maybe it's up to me to go do the dishes and give her a foot rub and, and do something to help her. Because if, as yes. I do that, I'll start to feel more love. And it's the same thing you were talking about on the same principle. I had this friend named Brody. He said he did this workout. He said, and he goes, I hated it. I hated the workout because <laughs> I got to the end of the workout and I, it was so sore. I could barely walk. It was like this Spartacus workout or something. He goes, oh, yeah. but I had committed to do it. So I did it again. And he goes, I still hated it. But so sorry. I wanted to die. He goes, I did it again. Still so sorry. I wanted to die. still so sorry. He goes, I did it again. He goes, but it was really interesting right around week two and a half or three, something changed. I got to the end of this workout. And for the first time I felt like I was just getting started. Like I wanted to do it again. So I did it twice. And so I think he may have done that. What you were talking about was he did it enough to build a pathway yeah. towards like, man, now I want to. And that thought that we can lead our feelings with what we do. Yes. In other words, I can, I can change how I feel almost by, by the choices I make that, you know, if I, or the other option, you could say, well, I'm not going to exercise until the feeling just kind of wafts by. Mm. But does it ever just waft by? Or do you have to say, hey, I need to make some changes? I mean, it might, but can you imagine just sitting there saying, well, I'll exercise when I feel like it. No, you almost have to exercise before you feel like it, and then you feel like it, right? <laughs> I love how you said it because it's true, though. Like, I, I, I laugh because it's true. You know, it's not like we're just talking about a cliche or it's like legit. I mean, science, again, you know, an object at rest likes to stay at rest, right. all right? And and we know that it takes a fair amount, and, and this is your analogy earlier, but the rocket ship, right? Like we know that the amount of inertia required to get a, a, an object at rest moving is the most that will ever be required. It will not take as much energy to keep it moving. You know, well, right. with the exception that, you know, if it's going uphill, it might be different here, but that's a whole different sure. equation. But I'm just talking about... Sure. In general principles, right? And, and as human beings, we do technically want to try to conserve our energy. And that's also in our DNA. You know, when you look at sort of the old hunter-gatherer ways of being, we're not like that anymore. You know, like, <laughs> we, we just aren't. Like, we're... <laughs> We, we sit behind laptops, we push one button and groceries show up at our door, right? Like we're not, <laughs> right. We're not right. out hunting and gathering anymore, right? right. Like, so, but in our DNA is this, this idea of preservation, right? Like it's, it's, in, it's in every species out there. We want to flourish. We want to survive. We want to endure. And, and so if we remember that, like, yeah, when we're at rest, we want to stay at rest. There's nothing wrong with that. But it does take a mental sort of shift to say, well, I'm going to get off the couch. <laughs> but trust me, that first squat going from sitting to standing will be the most challenging squat you ever do. It only gets better after that. And right. be- because you do start to experience it holistically, you know, your whole body gets into body, mind, spirit, you know, uh, that energy that you create actually begets more energy later. A lot. 
And it's that that belief in oneself that, that I can't do it. And not only I can do it, but I did it, you know, and it's celebrating the completion of the action. And I think that's where sometimes we skip over that. You know, we, I see this with a lot of type A's and I won't believe me, I'm capital type A, okay? Like it's very, very driven by goals and and I don't like to quit. <laughs> I refuse that to a detriment at times, okay? And I get it. <laughs> and And yet, and yet, you know, as much as we can persevere and push through and do and do and do, sometimes we get the check mark after we've completed and then we're like, okay, what's next? You know, rather than sitting back and saying, gosh, what did I learn to get here? Mm. You know, reflect back on the journey and appreciate all the interactions and the learnings and the growth. And, and yeah, there's cliches about that too, right? It's not about the the end. It's about the journey to get there. and. And yet it's reminding ourselves to reflect on that because that's where we do learn and gain the wisdom. So the next time we're encountering another challenge or another big obstacle or requiring to make another big change, we can remember back, oh man, I've been here before. I've achieved I things like this before. I've done this before, you know, and and that's the part I think we we forget, you know, and, and that's why I, I tell everybody, I'm like, listen, the change is already in you. And, and they're like, well, that sounds like a cop out. Like, I'm like, no, it's not. And I'm like, <laughs> legitimately, the only person that can help you change is you. Now, there's people that can support you with the change, but you got to start it. You know, you start, right. It's like, yeah, I don't know. Now, mind you, if there's anybody listening to this right now and you have a job where you'll pay me to just look after myself every day, <laughs> I am for hire. <laughs> I will give you as many hours a week as you need, but that's just not the world that we live in, right? Like, right. And, and so that too is a big part of that self-care conversation, which uh, sounds like, you know, as parents, we need to be reminded of sometimes. Right. I love that. Thanks for sharing that, that, that being able to reflect and, and, and say, you know, what did I learn from this? Let me ask you a question. You talk about, uh, I, I know you mentioned you've been dating your wife. You date your <laughs> wife. Talk, tell us about that. Well, I think you actually alluded to it the best way, I, I, you know, with the, the Stephen Covey example, you know, and uh, just that idea of, of just even if you're not feeling it, putting certain things into action until you do feel it, right? Like, right, right. And my wife and I, many, many years ago, and, and you know, I got to give her full credit for this. She's very much a language person, um, specifically the kind of language. And this is something that and I'm going to use the word harp on, but not as a negative. Okay. She just mm -hmm. is very good at bringing it up again and again with me because I'm just sometimes a slow learner. Okay. <laughs> I sometimes need to be reminded and listening to this. Okay, good. Okay. Thank you for that. It's because we're on the same path here. Um, you know, she was always very protective of how we spoke to one another around our kids. And you and I both know, and anyone that's listening to this kids just doesn't matter what you're talking and how far away they are. They seem to have an ability to pick things up, right? <laughs> it's incredible, really, when I think about it. I'm like, how do you even know that that's what we were talking about? Like, you were, you know, like sometimes I don't even think they're paying attention, yet they're paying attention. And and so we wanted to be really mindful of that. And so we started to be much more uh, choosy, to use a simple term, you know, of the kind of language that we would use when we talk to one another or how we would communicate because inevitably, if you're in a relationship, trust me, you're going to get into fights, okay? Like, if you're not, well, 
I don't know what's the deal. Like, I don't know how that's possible. I haven't been able to have one yet where there were any fights, but mm. there's, there's quality of fights, right? Right. You can have disagreements passionately, but yet be respectful of one another. And that is something that I had to learn to do. I'll be the first to admit, I, it's not a skill that came naturally to me. Because right. I looked at how what was modeled to me growing up. I looked at the kind of mentors I had in my life, especially other men. Uh, and I learned how to go from zero to 100 very quickly, like emotionally lit up, <laughs> you know, go from mm, to, you know, very quickly. And, and that was a habit that was built in me based on the mentorship and the modeling that I had as inputs around me. So I had some work to do. And long and short of it, and this nice story <laughs> is my wife, you know, when we really talked about our relationship, we talked about, we, we saw ourselves sometimes drifting apart and we didn't want that. We wanted to be together. We wanted, we, we had, we're, we're co-committed, you know, and building a life together and, and being able to create the space for each of us to pursue our passions, yet knowing that we're, pa you know, going the same direction. Um Two different paths, same direction. And, and yet we don't need to be so dependent upon one another that I need her to do what I want to do, nor does she need me to do what she wants to do. I'm here to support her with that. But she doesn't need me for it. Mm. And we started to be really selective about how we refer to one another. You know, and it started as something more internally, you know, like if someone in passing a conversation, like I'm dating my wife, you know, and we realized that's what's allowed us to endure. Because my wife today, you know, we're in our 23, 23rd year together uh, as a couple, you know, an emotional couple. You know, and it hasn't come with a lot of hardship. I'll be honest. We've had a lot of highs. We've had a, a, a tremendous amount of lows. Right. But we were committed to staying the course. But the only thing I can say to you right now and anyone that's listening to this is make or take time with your life partner to constantly be dating each other. Because believe me, you're 10 years into a relationship, you're five years in, you're two years in, doesn't matter. However length of time you're together, there's a lot of changes happening to both of you. And if you're not intentionally dating each other to constantly rediscover and uh, you know reconnect with the aspects that you most love and are loving of, you're missing out on a great opportunity. You know, Because remember, how did you feel when you first started dating your wife, X? Right. So people have this honeymoon phase or love yeah. like, and then somewhere along the line, kind of the lovey dovey <laughs> feeling wears off. And if you don't, if you don't water that plant, it can die. So you have yes. to be intentional. I'm going to water yes. the plant. I'm going to take care of this, this relationship. Yeah. yeah. I, and, and I love the, the, the thing that I love hearing from you die is here. You came from a situation where your parents got divorced, which was probably mm -hmm. very hard for, for you. And it's, I'm, and it, for those parents out there, you know, we think sometimes we got to fix things. Sometimes it's worth, and I'm not saying in every situation, there's probably exceptions, but it's worth saying, you know what, how can I water this relationship? Because really that, that choice to divorce mm -hmm. can really can, can reverberate on for a long time, sometimes generations, yeah. but you're saying here, despite that fact, I'm committed to my wife, even though it's been hard. And most people in marriage, I think, feel that same way. They say, you know what? I didn't sign up for some of this. I didn't know <laughs> this was going to happen. I hear I'm married and I didn't want this, whatever it is, you know, but, but to be intentional with your words and say, you know what, we're, we're going to work it out anyway. We're going to change, yeah. but we're going to take, 
I love your story, Di, because it's like, here's somebody who went sense. from, you've, you've, you've lived it. Here you yeah. are working on your marriage, even though you came from a spot where you saw parents who didn't make it work. Mm. Here you are, you had a, a situation where you say you were morbidly obese, and now you're probably one of the more fit guys out there, right? Taking care of yourself. Um, <laughs> if, and you're helping others along the way doing it. This kind of, um, the ability, you know, I'm kind of going on a, on a rampage on a different things here, but I'm just, I love it. Sometimes our, sometimes our pain becomes our superpower. And I think mm. with you, that's happening with you. Oh, thank you. Oh, wow. That's uh, yes, I agree. I agree. I've, I've, uh, I spend a lot of my life trying to avoid it. I'm just being fully transparent here. I, I was sure. very good at escaping and avoiding reflecting like I was always and it's probably also that type Amy I made a decision long ago I learned that if I put my head down and I just barrel through it I can accomplish stuff now I'm not saying I learn a lot through that process I probably because I miss out on a lot more than I actually take in because of that very narrow-minded focus and just boom, just go get you know like as they say a bull in a china shop okay like rrr. and I, I realized there was so many things that I missed out because of that and I avoided, you know, changing many times because of that. And I think all I can say is that once I shifted this relationship around change and my role in that relationship, I started to realize there was so much more. And there was so much more that I could achieve and support people with. So I, I really thank you for sharing that that thought or observation. It's It's very true. You know, it's... And I think the hero's journey that we some people may be familiar with, there's this, if you look at any story, any story, I'm talking about the stories you read your kids to bed with, all the way up to the, the most popular novels of fiction today, you look at them all and they have very similar story arcs. You know, there's usually some sort of hero or anti-hero and they set out on a journey you know, because of some traumatic event <laughs> that's happened or a realization about themselves and then a realization that I'm here and I want to be here. But man, that looks hard. But here I go. And along the way, they meet people. They meet guides, teachers, parents, cool podcast hosts, right? Like yes. they, they, they meet people. Yes. And, yeah. and that one conversation or one simple little observation that's shared with that person and shift the trajectory of that person on that journey. So all of a sudden, what saw is an insurmountable mountain, and now it feels like a leisurely walk up a hill. Right. But because of that one interaction. And, and uh, where I'm going with this is, is that everyone's on that journey right now. Everyone that's listening or watching this right now, you're on that journey. I love that. One of the things I've noticed about your this whole conversation with you, Di, is your willingness to just be vulnerable. And I think it's so important. I mean, here you've talked about things that were dark and hard for you saying, Hey, I had, I struggled with weight. I struggled with my parents' divorce. I struggled with this, with changing. I struggled with these things. And I think, tell us about this vulnerability, because as you say it, just as, as a podcast host, your willingness to be vulnerable and say, gosh, I've had these issues. It doesn't make me feel more distant. Like, Oh, wow. It actually makes me feel closer to you because I think, wow, well, I've struggled with some of these same things myself. Not exactly, mm -hmm. but a lot of the same things. And so talk a little bit, tell us about vulnerability and why it's a thing, a human thing. <laughs> well, 
because you're good at it. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I, it's a choice. It, it didn't come naturally to me. I, I full disclosure, just didn't. Um, in fact, it was the opposite that was often referred to, or it, it, it's what was actioned around me. Let's just say is the opposite of that. Like the the stereotypical way of you know, men don't cry, men don't express their emotions. You know, be very stoic. You know, let logic prevail. <laughs> and yet, if you do show emotions, show anger. <laughs> you know, like that's the normal one to show, but don't share anything else. You know, and mm-hmm. and I hate to sound like a cliche, you know, or a stereotype, but that that was very much a good chunk of my upbringing. You know, very much so. Now, now not saying it was my dad, but it was also some other male role models. Around. My father was always very stoic. You know, like very uh, emotionally distant. You know, um, which at times I wish he wasn't, you know, I, there's lots sure. of things I wish we could have talked about. But he passed five years ago and from pancreatic cancer. And so there's a lot of conversations that I'm never going to have with him, at least in this timeline, you know, and um, and yet he still taught me so much, you know, and there's so much I took away from him being my dad. But had I been willing to be a little bit more vulnerable and being the one to make the first move, bring down the guard and do something different than we had been doing up to that point. Cause I know there's a lot of things he wanted to say, especially at end of life. And there was a lot of things I wanted to say. And yet neither of us said anything. And that's something I got to carry, you know, and, and that's okay. I know he loved me and I loved him. But there's conversations so many of us put off having because they make us feel emotionally uncomfortable. And we have to wonder why. Why is that? And probably when I ask a survey and I ask people about this, it's just because it's something new to them. (laughs) You know, opening up about how they're feeling. We get very good at expressing happiness or humor because they are a feel-good emotion. And it's an emotion, yeah, I hope most people have had a life with more of that emotion than the sad emotion. So you have to ask, what's one's more normal when it comes to sharing? And so when we think, look at things as normalized emotions, it's the ones that we tap into the most frequently. Yeah, the uncomfortable stuff of getting raw and real and being vulnerable, admitting some of the faults that we've had, that ain't easy. Right. And it's actually, but until we actually can admit them, we can't do much about it until we can say, you know what? Hey, I've got this issue. I'm, I need to lose weight or I need to be a better yes. parent or I need to be a better spouse or whatever it is to be vulnerable enough to say, you know what? I need some help. I'm not doing uh, it. And right? you said, well, because you said it earlier too, you, you implied that, you know, rather than feeling like I'm pushing away by being vulnerable, you actually felt more of a, an attraction, more of a pull towards, right. more That's of right. a leaning in. And <clears throat> this is very common, you know, when we, because again, people earn our respect. They earn our vulnerability. They earn our love. You know, now I'm sure we can have an unconditional certain amount of emotions to just give to to humanity. Fair enough. But when it comes to these one-on-one or one-to-a-few interactions, trust is important. One of the surest ways to develop trust with somebody is by letting them in a little bit into who you are. Right. Because we need to know who people are to form trust and bonds and relationships. So even if you're making a new friend for the first time, there's still a level of vulnerability. Now you don't come out and just say, here's all my dirty laundry right out of the gate. 
Now, mm-hmm. maybe, but I would say that's maybe a little bit oversharing at times, you know, like sure. it, there, there's healthier ways of practicing, developing a skill of being more vulnerable and right. not everybody is deserving of your vulnerability. Okay. Sure. I'm not saying go out there and say, Hey, this is who I am and share everything. And then get but, ran over by a truck, right? Like you well, that's you right. say, Hey, I'm going to be yeah. vulnerable and go lay down in the street and let a truck run over me. Cause that it's, you wouldn't want to do that figuratively either. Correct. <laughs> exactly. And, but on, but on the other yeah. hand, if you go to your child and you say, you know what, I got to tell you, this is my first time being a dad and I don't, I don't know exactly how to do this. Thank you. But I, but I, but I want yes. to know I love you and I'm, I'm trying my best. And it's kind of like admitting that I don't know everything as your dad. I'm trying to work it out. I know I'm I'm going to make some mistakes, but being willing to say, not be like, well, I've, I've got it all figured out. And this is how it needs to be. Rather, yeah. I'm trying to, I'm working, I'm learning how to be a dad at, at, while we're here, or I'm That's learning right. how to be a spouse because I wasn't modeled very well growing up. And I'm, please be patient with me. That that vulnerability uh, to try to say, hey, you know, I'm, I don't have it all figured out. Help me. You know, it's a beautiful life lesson that you impart on your kids that way too. Right. And, and, Fortunately, that wasn't modeled to me uh, growing up, but that's okay. I still ended up okay. <laughs> now, just meant I had to well make a few wrong turns along the way to realize, oh, okay, this is a dead end. I'm going back again, you know. And but that's okay. That's just life, right? And and I all I want to encourage people to do is is don't be closing yourself off to this idea of being vulnerable. Don't think of it as a weakness. Think of it as a skill that can be developed, and it can be done in a healthy way. And oh, wow. and but just start, you know, just start and, and, and dabble your toe in the water a little bit with that, with the people that are most important in your life and see what happens. I think you'll be amazed. And, and man, quality of life goes through the roof when you feel more emotionally and spiritually and psychologically connected to the people around you. Wow. If somebody wants to get a hold of you, Di, <laughs> have you help them or work with them or coach them, right? How can, how can people get a hold of you? Well, you know, I'm a pretty easy guy to find uh, once you understand how to type my name. <laughs> so, and X, I know you probably have the same thing, right? Yeah, like you and me both. <laughs> but Die is a Welsh name for David. And so it's D-A-I. Now, that's the most important part of the equation because the last name is pretty easy. Manuel, M-A-N-U-E-L. And uh, I just say, you know, you can find me on any social network. But if you want to have a conversation, especially through DMs, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn, I'm most active on. I'm on the other ones, but more just to share content. So if you want to have a conversation and engage, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. Uh, But my website's got about 1,800 articles that I've published since I started blogging way back in the day. Way, 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 way back. Okay. As my kids joke, they go, Dad, you're an OG blogger. I'm like an original gangster. And they go, no, you're an old guy. And old uh, guy. so that's, that's one or the other. Put up. But uh-huh. either way, it's a great resource just for information and a wonderful place to start. But, but X, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today. And, and uh, I, I recognize that a lot of sleepless nights and a lot of energy go into creating this type of space for this kind of content to be created. And I just want to say thank you for putting that out to the world and showing us what's possible by allowing us to be little flies on the wall for some of these conversations and and musings and thoughts. And uh, it's just, it's wonderful to see. And I just feel very grateful and honored to have had the time with you today, you know? Well, Di, I really appreciate your sharing your insights on change. You know, so many people feel like they're in this relationship or they're in this something and they want something to change. And you're talking about, you know, things to do, talking about, you know, um, being intentional with your language, the change you had to go through to, to go from being not fit to fit. Um, 
it's been an honor to have you on the show. So thank you. Thank you, Di, for being with us today. And for all of those guests, if you want to reach out to someone who's who's just really done it, who's who's been an example of change in his own life, and you can see it, feel free to reach out to Di. And I'll put his uh, put a website and some, some notes in the show notes for those of you who want to look him up. Di, thank you for being on the show today. And uh, I guess just rock on. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Max. It was great. I am so jealous of my wife because she gets the ultimate career. She gets to train and nurture and love our children more than I get to because I have to be doing things like this podcast. Parenting is the ultimate career. If you like what you heard today, please like, subscribe, comment, leave a review. Thank you for listening. You can also check out my book, What I Want My Children to Know Before I Die. It's available on Amazon and other bookstores. Thanks again for listening.